to uh, continue our study of Christian apologetics. We're, really, because, uh, uh, because of last week, we didn't get through all the material. We're going to sort of finish our thoughts from last week and then uh, get into the, sort of the new material this morning. Uh, but we'll have to probably conclude it uh, next uh, Sunday. Again, on the uh, Is the Bible from God? We're, we're studying Christian apologetics. And so we, we've uh, noticed some of these pillars uh, that, that we've talked about, these, uh, you know, these three pillars that are, hold, with, are holding up uh, Christianity as far as uh, the existence of God. Uh, does God exist? We've already looked at that question, answered that question. Uh, now we're looking at that second pillar. Uh, is the Bible inspired? Uh, is the Bible from God? And then finally, in a few weeks, we'll uh, look at the deity of Christ. But what we noticed uh, last week, uh, or what we wanted to talk about, is we, we discussed you know, what it means when the Bible says it's inspired. You know, the Bible says over and over again that it's God's word, that God breathed these words into existence. And uh, we've noticed those scriptures that told us that. Uh, but just because you know, something in, uh, says that it's inspired, just because something claims to be something... Uh, you know, we need to examine the facts. We need to look at some of the, the evidence, evidences for that and to verify, uh, is it truly the fact? Because, again, I could be up here and tell you that I'm the new president of the United States, you know, but that doesn't make the, the, the fact true just that I said that. But, you know, we need some evidence to back up that claim. And so what we did uh, last week as we talked about some of the, the amazing facts of the Bible, again, you know, these 66 books that from beginning to end have this one clear message uh, of, you know, that, that God is uh, coming back again, uh, to Jesus coming back again to uh, claim uh, his people. Uh, we, we notice that there's this great unity uh, seen throughout uh, of this book that's been written by over 40 plus writers over a period of time of 1600 years and it just does not make sense that uh, that if uh, if we see such unity within those things uh, that the Bible uh, is not from something uh, that is divine that it's not from something uh, heavenly and so we've uh, pretty much concluded that uh, those thoughts last week, and then we started to look at some of the examples. And what we got into was talking about uh, scientific foreknowledge. You know, why does the Bible have things within it uh, that could not have been known at that time? Because, you know, we really only have discovered these things within the last couple of hundred years. And so uh, mainly we were looking at examples of uh, medical practices. You know, we looked at Leviticus 17, where uh, Moses tells us that life is in the blood. You know, do not eat blood, that, uh, that he tells us. And again, how did he know that life, was, uh, that life is found in the blood? How did he know that, um, that that's what carries the oxygen through our bodies? And, um, you know, we talked about George Washington, right? That George Washington died uh, because of uh, the practice of uh, bloodletting, uh, you know, because as of that time period, you know, the doctors, those who practice these uh, medicines, you know, they, they thought that at that time period that uh, there were things uh, that were bad that were in the blood. And so they practiced, you know, taking the blood out. And of course, that uh, ended up uh, just uh, killing a lot of patients. 
uh, because they didn't understand that life was in the blood, that, that the blood was necessary for life. And then we looked at Genesis chapter 17, and we noticed that you know, God commanded Abraham to uh, circumcise uh, the boys, uh, the, the Jewish boys, on the eighth day. And we noticed you know, what in particular about that eighth day was so uh, important. You know, and again, we noticed that um, those in the medical field um, have, have told us that on that eighth day, uh, the, the, uh, the, the vitamin K and the other uh, blood clotting agents within our body, they're at their highest peak on the eighth day. So again, how would Moses have known that? You know, it's only because uh, it was divinely uh, given to him uh, to write these things down. Again, uh, or Abra- also t- uh, telling Abraham this, um, you know, again, these are divine uh, attributes of Scripture, scientific foreknowledge. We want to notice just a-, a couple more of these. Again, these are all throughout uh, Scripture. But notice in Deuteronomy chapter 23, starting in verse 12 through 14. Uh, notice what uh, Moses here records. He says, uh, you shall also have a place outside the camp and go out there and you shall have a spade among your tools. And it shall be uh, when you sit down outside, you shall dig uh, with it and shall turn to cover up your excrement. Since your Lord, your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy and he must not see anything indecent among you or he will turn away from you. You know, we notice all the way back, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy that God, you know, through Moses is telling his people how to deal with sanitation issues. Right? These are things that again, um, you know, they weren't aware of. They weren't aware of, of germs and uh, you know, microscopic um, you know, uh, things that, that existed. And so how would they have known? How, why would they have been given these instructions to practice these things? You know, it wasn't too long ago, in, you know, the Middle Ages uh, in England, in that area where, where the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague uh, existed, wiping out 13 million uh, individuals. Well, what was the cause of that? Well, what they did, what they practiced, you know, was there was no plumbing at that time. Uh, they would basically, you know, throw the waste out into the streets, you know, and people walked in it. Uh, mice would contaminate themselves. Fleas would contaminate themselves. And this would get passed on all over the place. And that's where, you know, the, the bubonic plague came from in, in Europe during the Middle Ages. Uh, again, you know, how did Moses know uh, to instruct the Israelites to, you know, take this outside of the camp, bury it into the ground. Again, um, it's divine, right? Uh, Numbers chapter 19. We're not going to spend too much time on this, but uh, Moses, again, uh, through the inspiration of the scriptures, is told to uh, put together some of these um, different ingredients during the, uh, the process of uh, of doing the sacrifice. And basically, all of these products that uh, he is telling them to put together, especially in verse 6, uh, the, the priest shall make cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material and cast it into the midst of the burning uh, heifer. Uh, these are all things that you know we can find in modern-day soap recipes. Again, it's just amazing 
uh, to see that God, thousands and thousands of years before, you know, we invented the, the, the bar soap or uh, that, that he was giving them a prescription of how to make a soap. But let's focus in on a couple of these other ones here before we move on. In Leviticus uh, chapter 13, you know, this is something that really, uh, because of what we've had to deal with the past couple of years with, uh, you know, COVID-19, this is sort uh, sort of interesting to read here in Leviticus 13 because verses 45 and 46, because Moses is... Uh, giving them instructions on quarantining uh, away from others who might have uh, leprosy. So again, notice in Leviticus 13, starting in verse 45, he gives them these instructions. As for the leper who has the infection, uh, his clothes shall be burned or shall be torn and, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. Uh, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, again, how, how did Moses know, you know, to prevent the, the spread of germs, which, again, they didn't know anything about germs or bacteria. How did he know that, you know, by you know, covering, if you were the one who had leprosy, uh, by covering your mouth, you know, as he says, to, uh, to not prevent, you know, the, 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 the spray or the spit or, or whatnot. Uh, how would he have known these things? Uh, again, it, it's interesting. And then he tells them that they were to go outside the camp in verse 46. And stay out there until uh, you recovered from this uh, disease. Again, uh, you know, we've had, we've had to deal with that the past couple of years. Uh, because of COVID-19. But again, we see that right here uh, in the Bible uh, that, um, you know, Moses prescribed uh, quarantining uh, from uh, the people when they were uh, infected with leprosy. And then one more. This one's probably one of the more well uh, familiar with uh, within uh, the Old Testament, uh, within a scripture, Leviticus chapter 11, when God is giving them uh, a lot of different laws about uh, food, you know, things that they should eat, things that they shouldn't eat. And notice in particular in Leviticus chapter 11, uh, verse 3, he says, uh, whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs and choose the cud among the animals you may uh, not eat. And then if you go all the way down to verse 7, he specifically mentions uh, some some. In particular, you know, the, the example of the pig. Again, that, that's probably the mo- we're the most familiar with, uh, that the, those who practice uh, Judaism during this time were not allowed to eat uh, pork. Uh, verse 7 says, and the pig. For though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Well, why? Uh, you know, in particular, why was the pig unauthorized for them to eat? Any guesses? Well, for one thing that we know, uh, you know, pigs are, uh, they're scavengers. 
right? They'll eat pretty much anything they can uh, get their hands on. And because of that, uh, we know that they carry, especially during this time, again, uh, when we don't or when they didn't have the advanced knowledge uh, that we do, but they, they carried many parasites. They had a tapeworm, of course, and it was, there was great danger in eating uh, this uncooked uh, meat, uh, pork. Uh, I've heard that in Germany today, uh, you know, it's considered a delicacy to eat raw pork. Uh, I don't think I would ever try that. But of course, uh, you know, we're better much trained at raising uh, hogs and such. And so uh, I think those people uh, who try that, they must be uh, satisfied that, you know, they were raised uh, to be, you know, to be fed and, and bred properly. But again, you know, why would God all the way back during this time period, again, <clears throat> restrict his people from eating a pig. Uh, and again, we can see that there's this uh, divine uh, knowledge behind uh, the fact that, um, that they were considered unclean to the Jewish people. So again, scientific foreknowledge is just one of the evidences that we have, again, to, as we continually talk about, of putting that pebble in someone's shoe uh, who may not believe the inspiration of the scriptures, who may not believe in God, to uh, use uh, as part of the evidence that this is fully divine. So what we want to do next is move into uh, the next um, topic of uh, the inspiration of God or excuse me, in the, in the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, and, you know, I remember I told us last week that this is probably the number one uh, method, the number one uh, evidence that we uh, can use. And again, we're going to have to take uh, next, next class period as well to discuss this is prophecy. You know, um, have you ever, you know, you're up late maybe and you watch television and you know, you see uh, one of those, you know, psychic hotline commercials. You, you know what I mean? Where, where, you know, someone's saying, you know, for $2 a minute, just call in and I'll tell you everything you need to know regarding your, your career and your love life and, and these types of things. And they're, they're pretty cheesy commercials a lot of the times. And, you know, as absurd as it sounds, uh, when, you're, when you're watching those, you know, people do uh, tend to spend a lot of money. Uh, calling those or going to see psychics because uh, they want to know, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, we also think that, you know, if someone truly had the gift of prophecy today, you know, th there'd probably be quite a lot of, uh, you know, millionaires who have, you know, bet on uh, sporting events and such like that. But let's talk about who is a prophet. Okay, uh, when we think of prophets, a lot of times people uh, tend to think of somebody who is uh, foretelling. You know, they're, they're telling of the future. But that's not necessarily what a prophet was. Uh, a prophet was not just a foreteller, but most importantly, he was a forth teller. Meaning, uh, God had a message for him to give to other people, and so he relayed that information. Now, sometimes uh, in, within that message would be... Um, telling of future events, you know, but again, Moses, who was a great prophet of God, you know, again, uh, he wrote the book of Genesis. 
Uh, he told us of things that happened way in the past, right? Uh, the creation of the world and uh, the lives of Abraham and, and uh, Joseph and Jacob and, and all of those uh, patriarchs that he never knew, uh, uh, never met. Uh, because they lived long before him. Well, well, Moses knew all of this exact information about these individuals because God had inspired him to uh, tell uh, through uh, writing those things down. And so, again, we just want to make sure we understand that a prophet of God is not just someone who makes uh, predictions in the future, uh, but that he also uh, foretells you know, the current events and also can tell of things that happened in the past. They're just simply spokesmen uh, for God. Now, of course, Moses was a prophet who spoke of things, uh, you know, and we can think of uh, in, within Scripture, you know, the section after the poetical books where, you, where we have, you know, Isaiah through Malachi. We got the, the major prophets and the minor prophets, you know, these are all uh, men who uh, God inspired to uh, preach to the people of things, again, that were happening at that time or were to happen. Uh, but we want to notice uh, Jeremiah 28, verse 9. We just want to notice a few verses uh, within Scripture that uh, let us know about these prophets. Again, uh, Jeremiah 28, verse 9 reads this. It says, The prophet who prophesies of peace... When the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And let's also notice, let's go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18. Notice one more passage about the prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 20. It reads, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You, sh you may say in your heart, How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. Okay, so we can see throughout Scripture that uh, prophets were either labeled, uh, you know, prophets or false prophets. And so, if you claim to have a revelation of the Lord and that came true, you know, you were a prophet. But if you claim to have a revelation of the Lord and that did not come true, uh, you know, you were a false prophet. And actually, that. Verse here in Deuteronomy that we wrote, that, that we spoke of, said, again, uh, if you speak, uh, my, uh, he speaks in the names of other gods, that prophet shall die. Right? So, so we have a distinction between uh, the, uh, prophets within uh, the Old Testament. Again, uh, there, there are those who uh, prophesied truly, and there were those who prophesied falsely. And, but the point that we want to make... Uh, is this, that prophets are no longer uh, employed today. Uh, we, we can think of what uh, the Hebrews writer says in the first few verses of his scripture, uh, his letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, uh, in many ways and in, uh, excuse me, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also 
he made the world. Right? Uh, the Hebrews writer here uh, mentioning that there was a time when God spoke through the prophets, but now today he speaks through his son, uh, which, of course, uh, for us is the written word that has been revealed to us. That's how uh, God speaks to us is through the word. Uh, we, we don't need prophets today because we have uh, the fully revealed word of God. And even uh, Paul uh, wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, this, this, uh, you know, this chapter about love, given the many definitions of, of how love is, he, he says in verse 8, he says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. You know, basically, you know, letting us know there's going to be a time when these miraculous gifts, such as tongue speaking and miraculous knowledge, and, and specifically prophecy, you know, these things will be done away with. Uh, he goes on in verse 9 and says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, uh, the partial will be done away with. So again, when, uh, when, when, the, full, when the scriptures are fully revealed, uh, we will no longer need these partial things like, like prophecy and tongue speaking. And so that's what we want to emphasize here is, again, that who is a prophet? Uh, prophets, again, are no longer employed today. But the, the, let's notice about, uh, you know, predictive prophecy. You know, what in the, uh, specifically in the Old Testament, constitutes predictive prophecy? Um, we're going to notice as we look at some examples, and again, we're not going to have time to dive in uh, this morning, uh, but we're going to notice that in order for a prophecy to be valid, you know, these three things really need to take place. Uh, number one, there, there must be proper timing. Uh, it's got to significantly precede the fulfillment of that a prophecy, right? It can't take place like a couple of minutes afterwards. It can't take place at the same time, but it's something that must uh, significantly precede the fulfillment of that. And uh, secondly, it must be specific in detail. Again, it's not going to be vague uh, general gen generalities or you know remote possibilities, but it's got to be specific in detail, right? I could say, uh, you know, it, well. I could say, you know, the Kentucky basketball team, the next, their next game, they're going to win. Is that a good predictive prophecy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, good in the sense that they're going to win, but is it predictive prophecy? Uh, no, I'm just giving you a generality. I'm just saying, you know, Kentucky is going to win the next basketball game. You know, but if I were to say... The Kentucky Wildcats are going to win 85 to 76, and the high score is going to have 23 points and 10 rebounds and 7 assists, and give off some more of these specific uh, details to that event. Well, now we're talking, right? Now we are, I'm giving uh, specifics in detail. And again, that's what we're going to notice uh, when we take a look at some of these prophecies in the Old Testament, is they weren't just vague generalities, but they were specific in their details. And then finally, there must be an exact fulfillment. Again, not merely, you know, a high degree of probability, you know, not that, you know, nine out of the, nine out of the 10 were, came true, but that one didn't. But uh, again, every single thing that was said uh, is going to uh, be fulfilled. It's going to 
come true. Now, um, I wanted to give us the example or look at the example of the fall of Tyre, which is found in Ezekiel chapter 26. But we're not going to have time this morning to uh, read this account. But let's just summarize it and then we'll look at it more in detail uh, next week. But this is one of the more well-known predictive prophecies within Scripture is Ezekiel chapter 26, where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, foretells of the city of Tyre, uh, of its destruction. And the, the, the specifics of this uh, prophecy are so incredibly uh, distinct, descriptive, that it's just amazing when we find out that through historical events that these things uh, actually came true. We're, we're going to notice that... Um, the, the prophet is going to tell them that there's going to be these many nations that are going to come upon them, uh, that one of them in particular, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, was going to uh, destroy the city, uh, that the city would be leveled and scraped clean. You know, that, that's very descriptive. Uh, it, it, it's said of that its stones and its timbers and it, the, its soil is going to be cast into the sea. You know, what does that mean? You know, that, that, that's just a very odd prediction that's being made. Uh, the surrounding area would become a spot for the spreading of fishermen's nets. You know, basically, the, this place is going to be wiped out, and the only thing that's going to go on in that city from that point forward is, is the, the trade of fishing. And so, uh, you know, again, I, I wish we had time to dive into this this morning. But we'll look at this next week. Maybe if you want to read this, uh, again, Ezekiel chapter 26. Uh, and then also we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53, which uh, is one of the probably the most messianic chapters within Scripture. We're going to notice in all 12 verses of Isaiah chapter 53 uh, that, you, that we can see that uh, you know, Isaiah is writing about the Christ. And there's just going to be, well, let me quickly show you what I meant. We're going to get to this chart, and we're going to notice in, in all 12 verses of Isaiah 53 that there's just one thing after another, after another, after another that Jesus is fulfilling in that chapter. And again, if we can you know, put this pebble in someone's shoe uh, that maybe is not um, as convinced that the Bible is inspired, that it's from God, you know, we can uh, you know, hopefully use something like this to say, hey – how did Isaiah, 700 years before the life of Christ, know that one man was going to fulfill all of these different things? So again, um, you know, we'll, we'll look at that later uh, next week. Um, but I guess my time is up this morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do our closing prayer, and uh, then we can dismiss for this morning. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you at this time, thanking you for uh, the day that you have blessed us with, the opportunity we have to study your word, Lord. Uh, we're, we're so thankful uh, that we have your revealed word that we can study, uh, that we can apply to our lives. And we just pray that we will continue to grow stronger here in, in this congregation here in Columbia. Pray that uh, you will be with our visitors today as they travel uh, back and pray that you will bless them. We're thankful for our little ones, uh, Lord, uh, who are here this morning uh, again studying uh, your word as well. And for the teachers that are teaching them, Lord, we pray that you continue to bless uh, them. 
and as they continue to grow and as we uh, train them up in your ways, Lord, we, we just we thank you so much for this time. Pray that you will uh, be with us the rest of this day and as we return this evening to worship uh, you once again, Lord. Thank you so much for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.